Today's reading is Galatians 5, 16 through 23. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you, Anna. Good morning, Arcadia. Good to see you all. If you're new, welcome. Uh, My name is Frank. I'm one of the pastors here. We're glad that you are here. If you have any questions or you want to get connected, come and see me or one of the other staff people around here. We'd love to get to know you. Um, we are, uh, before we get to what we're going to do today, which is a one-off message in between two series, I have a couple of reminders. First of all, um, our, our fall Wednesday night Bible study this year uh, is going to be Financial Peace University. It's going to be from 6 to 8 on Wednesday night starting September 13th and running through the first part of uh, November. Um, Jason Liakos and, and myself are going to be uh, facilitating it, but uh, the, the teaching will be done uh, by video, Dave Ramsey. And so we'd love to have you come to that. It, there's dinner provided, there's childcare provided, uh, whatever you need for that. Uh, you can look on our website to uh, get more details on that. Also, remember on September 10th, Sunday, September 10th, that's a week from today, we're starting the book of Revelation. And so in conjunction with that, on Tuesday mornings, uh, every Tuesday morning from 6.30 to 7, I just read scripture out loud uh, in, in this sanctuary. We just go through books of the Bible. Uh, and so starting this coming Tuesday morning, the 5th, <clears throat> uh, we're going to be reading out of the book of Revelation, and we're going to do it for the whole 12 weeks that we're in Revelation uh, this fall, which means we're going to probably read through Revelation on Tuesday morning three or four different times. But we think it would be helpful and beneficial to just read through it and read through it and read through it. Occasionally we make some comments or tell stories, but mostly it's just reading. And then finally, the last reminder I have for you. Um, if you are married to a sinner or you are planning to get married to a sinner, we are having a, uh, a marriage retreat called So I Married a Sinner. Um, on, on September 22nd and 23rd, Friday and, uh, night and Saturday morning. And it's an in-town retreat. That means everything is going to happen in here, except Friday night you're going to go to your own house and sleep. We're not doing it at a, at a hotel. But we're going to have all kinds of food and child care and all that stuff. It's going to be um, in conjunction on Friday night with uh, kids' night out and all of that. So um, let me pray, and then we'll get into what we're going to do today. Our gracious and holy God, I pray for today. I pray for this message uh, that your son, Jesus, is exalted. uh, And that uh, in the midst of this message, uh, you would would take whatever needs to be taken from this message, as you've called me to do this, 
uh, just sort of filter out anything that needs to be filtered out and by the power of your Holy Spirit apply to the hearts and minds of everybody who is here all that they need to hear and to see and to think about and to know. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. So we just spent 13 weeks in the book of First John, and I will tell you, I really enjoyed that series, uh, mostly because I was so greatly encouraged by what uh, John had to say in this letter, and uh, just serendipitously, how it sort of, it, 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 the confluence between First John and the series that we did right before that, Romans chapter 8, it's like it was perfect the way that those things just flowed into each other because Romans chapter 8 is one of the most encouraging um, chapters in all of the Bible. And then, of course, doing First John, written by John the Apostle, that's a perfect prelude for going into Revelation uh, the next 12 weeks because John is also the person who wrote down the words of Jesus in the book of Revelation. So next up, we're going to start a series next week, starting September 10th, uh, in the book of Revelation. And here are a few things that you should know about that. First of all, we will cover all 22 chapters of Revelation. Now, why did I say that? Why do, why do I make a point of saying that? The reason that I'm saying that is because I can't tell you how often I have heard a church tout that they are going to do a series in the book of Revelation, and then really all they're doing is Revelation 1, 2, and 3, and that's it. Nothing in 4 through 22. We're not going to do that. We're just going to do Revelation 1 through 3. Uh, 1 through 3 is much easier to study and understand and apply. 4 through 22 takes a lot more work, but it is understandable, and it shouldn't be intimidating to us, and there's plenty in there for us today. And so I'm glad that we're going to do the entire book. But here's the challenge. It's only going to be 12 weeks. 22 chapters of some of the most challenging scripture in only 12 weeks. So we are going to move very fast, faster than probably some of you would like, certainly faster than I would like, but at least we're going to cover all 22 chapters. And that's one of the reasons why we're going to read it every Tuesday morning during this series. And oh, by the way, let me just, let me just say this, and then I promise you, I don't think I'll say anything about this the rest of the series, but I have to just Get it out there once. If you have any friends who are, now I want to be charitable or euphemistic or whatever, one of those, you have a friend and they're one of those persons that is um, very excited or charismatic or maybe a little bit freaky about the fact that they know the day and the time that Jesus is coming. They know. They've figured it out. Please don't invite them to this series. (laughs) They're just going to be a disruption. Unless, unless they really want to know about Jesus. Because the book of Revelation is not about a date, and it's not about predicting, it is about Jesus. So if they want to know about Jesus, by all means, invite them. Invite everybody, because you're going to hear all about Jesus. That's what we're going to look at in the book of Revelation. So... Having said that, here's what we're going to do today. This Sunday, between the 13 weeks in 1 John and the 12 weeks in what some people have called the Book of Sevens, I'm going to tell you a bit of a personal story in order to make a point about Jesus, and then we're going to end with some very broad application for those who have come to Jesus, who are Christians. And here's the point about Jesus that we'll be making this morning. Jesus changes lives. 
Jesus changes destinies and purposes. Jesus changes everything. So a little preview of what we're going to do this morning. I'm going to, first of all, I have a really, really brief personal testimony of how I came to know Christ, and then I have a long one that takes about an hour. I'm doing one that's sort of in that 15 to 20 minute range, so semi-briefly, I'm going to give you my personal uh, uh, testimony, which ends in, in me becoming a pastor, which was something that was never on my radar. It was the last thing I ever thought would happen to me, and married to the greatest person I've ever known, and mentored and loved by the greatest man I have ever known. Jesus changes everything. So uh, let me start. I, I did not grow up in church at all. I was 27 years old, and by that time, I had been to church three times for something other than a wedding or a funeral, and two of those times, I was impaired. I, I, uh, two of those times, I confessed to you, I thought it would be funny on Christmas Eve, to drink and then go to midnight mass uh, at church. And, and I, I'm not proud of that. I, I used to think it was funny to tell that story. I don't think it's funny anymore. I'm not proud of that. Um, but there was one other time that I did go to church as an adult. And the reason I went was because I had a very good friend for about five years during my time that I lived in Chicago. And this friend was a Christian. He and his wife were Christians. And, and they kept invite, he kept inviting me to church. Every week, he would invite me to church. We worked together for the same company. Every single week, he said, you've got to come to church. You've got, you got to come to church. You've got to come to church. And I finally just said to him, I said, if I come once, will you promise to quit asking me? And he said, yes. So I went with him once, and then he quit asking me. And so that was the third time I had been to church uh, as an adult. Um, by the way, I was about 23 years old when that happened. Like I said, living in Chicago, working for a big national uh, company. Both of us were. His name was Rick. He was married to Kathy. Um, on the same day when we were 20, both, uh, he was 26 and I was 24. Uh, during the same week, we both got a phone call from the home office uh, in St. Louis and we were both promoted out of Chicago into uh, different cities. I went to Houston and he went to uh, St. Louis and we lost track of each other. Uh, for some of you who are younger, you're like, how'd you lose track of each other? I mean, don't you have the internet and Facebook? No, there was no such thing back then. There was no, so we just completely lost track of each other <clears throat> for more than 30 years. Later on, unbeknownst to either of us, his daughter, girl named woman, named Ashley, and his son-in-law, the guy that his daughter Ashley was married to, a guy named Cameron Quick, uh, they began attending more than 10 years ago, Redemption Church, Arcadia, when we were over at 42nd Street and Thomas. N none of us had any of this connection. Now, if you don't think this isn't a great God story, and there's way more backstory to this, and I'd love to share it with you sometime, but Cameron Quick, Rick's son-in-law, is the guy who got Steve Wheeler and I in touch with the idea that this property here that we are on now was up quietly up for sale and that Biltmore Bible Church wanted to sell it to a gospel-centered church for less than market value. If it weren't for Rick's son-in-law, Cameron Quick, we wouldn't be in this property here today. All of that happened before we figured out anything else. Then... What, what's really freaky is that Rick and Kathy by this time are living in Fountain Hills. So we're in the same general area. So Rick and Kathy take their daughter and son-in-law out for dinner one night after much of this happened. 
and they're having dinner, and they asked Ashley, they said, uh, have you found a good church? And she said, yeah, I think we have. It's called Redemption Church Arcadia. It's right by where we live. And dad, Rick was raised in Iowa, and then we lived in Chicago together. She said, dad, I think you would really like this pastor because he's always talking about Iowa and Chicago. I think you guys would really be good friends. (laughs) And so, well, who is he? And she said, it's Frank Switzer. And he's like, what? And so she gets on her phone, brings up my, my picture from our website, and says, it's this guy. And he looks at that and he says, I can't believe that guy is a Christian, let alone pastoring a church. <laughs> and so we got reunited and it was really fun. And then about a, and it was really fun to get reunited with Rick and Kathy. They showed up at church one morning, freaked me out. Uh, and then about a year later, they moved to Nashville. So that's the end of that story. But at any rate, can you imagine? It's just amazing how God worked all of that uh, together. It is a great God story. Anyway, I'm 27 years old, not raised in the church. I knew nothing about the Bible at that time other than that it was stupid, and the only time I used Jesus' name was when I was mad about something. Then I met Jackie. She turned out to be the best person I've ever known, and I can say that with great confidence and conviction even after 36 years of marriage, but I need to clarify. Jackie is a great person because of Jesus in her life. It's because of Jesus in her life. When she came to Jesus as a tween-ager, Jesus changed everything for her. Jesus transformed Jackie. And for the nearly, uh, last nearly four decades, I've been blessed by that. I've been blessed by Jesus and the transformation that he has done in Jackie's life. So Jackie and I met at work. We worked for the same uh, regional chain of women's clothing stores. Um, uh, she had started working there before I did, but came in. And, and, um, and, and our departments that we both uh, headed up and supervised, they kind of overlapped at times. So there were certain contexts in which we would work together. And so because we worked together, we naturally became friends. And then we began this ongoing discussion about the fact that she was a Jesus person and I was not. And what an idiot she must be, in my humble opinion. Other than that, she was great, but she was a Jesus person because, you know, this stupid church thing, okay, I I didn't like any of that. And our ongoing conversation in that regard lasted for about 18 months with me asking a lot of questions, many of them insulting and harsh, with her responding with grace and patience. And she hung in there with me even though I was not always tactful or gracious. Now, she had been dating a guy for quite some time, probably on their way to marriage. But one day, again, much longer story if you're interested, we can talk about that. But one day... I came into work and I found out that in her words, she had given this guy his walking papers. That's exactly the words that she used. I gave Ron his walking papers last night. And of course, I sprung into action. So I had, I had this dissonance about what the grace period would be. Again, longer story. But I figured the grace period, before I revealed my feelings for her, would be about five minutes. So I, you know, that was enough. So Just so you know, I'm Jackie's rebound guy. So rebound guys sometimes work, okay? Just in case you're wondering. Anyway, I told her I was romantically interested in her. But, and if she was interested in me, if not, forget it, I'll move on. Boy, that would have been a mess. But anyway, um, but I said, if, if you're interested too, then we have to, and I didn't have the language for this at the time, but I said, we have a problem that we have to try to figure out and overcome. And that, and that problem is, uh, the language today would be, we have a completely different worldview. 
Okay? She's a Jesus person, she's a church person, and, and I'm not. And so either she needed to stop all that nonsense or I needed to figure out uh, the Jesus stuff. So again, long story short, but this is what God used to save me. Jackie has been a part of North Phoenix Baptist Church for the last 51 of her 56 years of life, either as a member or an employee. She still works there. And that's the church that God saved me at, that God used to save me, just down the road at, at, at um, uh, Central and Bethany Home. And when we first started dating, we agreed, we agreed from the beginning that much of our dating would simply be me going to church with her so I could try to figure out this Christian thing. And I didn't figure it out. I'm not capable of figuring it out. Rather, God opened my eyes to the truth and reality of the gospel. And so on a Wednesday night in June of 1987, God saved me. I said, I, I, I want Jesus in my life, and I gave my life to Jesus. By the way, uh, our other dating, Jackie and I, when we weren't going to church, consisted mostly of us going to movies together, which I'm sure doesn't surprise many of you. We both like movies. We both love movie theater popcorn. And... We like movies the way they used to be, with tight, intelligent screenplays, good character development, and plausible stories, and very little, if any, political agenda. But I digress, and that's my humble opinion. Anyway, we got married in September of 1987. Yes, our 36th anniversary is coming up on the 25th. We began attending North Phoenix Baptist Church services, and we started attending the Young Married's Bible Study Department at North Phoenix Baptist Church, which had hundreds of couples in it. And eventually, during that time, the first couple of years there, two things happened. Again, very long story. Some of you have heard this, but if you hadn't, and you're interested in how Jesus changes everything in a person's life, let me know, and I'll take you out for an almond milk latte. But eventually, two things happened. Number one, I met Tom Schrader who is the founder of Priority Living of Arizona, which is a marketplace Bible study, which no longer exists after Tom passed away in 2019. But all of his recorded studies are archived on their website, priorityLivingAZ.org. And I'm just looking out at, at, at who's here, I know many of you listen to those on a regular basis. They're the best Bible studies, I think. You can, you can find all kinds of series. He's the founder of Priority Living Arizona, and he's the founder of East Valley Bible Church, which uh, um, more than 12 years ago became Redemption Church Gilbert. And after a while, Tom began mentoring me, and he became my spiritual father. And Tom was a lot like me. He didn't grow up in the church, and he believed that religion, especially Christianity, was a fool's errand. But God got a hold of Tom through a guy named Larry Wright when Tom was 30 years old. And on uh, March 6, 1980, uh, Jesus came into Tom's life, and, and he was saved, and that began his journey. And eventually, you know, uh, some of you know, Tom became very famous for what we call his Schraderisms, so things that he would say all the time that just became a part of who he was. <clears throat> Maybe you were here a couple of years ago on a Thursday night when we had Sandy Schrader, Tom's widow, here. And we talked through many of his famous Schraderisms, like what's the backstory to each of those. And there were things like, and there's many more, but things like what you know trumps what you feel. Keep the main thing the main thing. Changed lives change lives. And my personal favorite, no matter how bad it gets, it will only last a lifetime. <laughs> 
I don't think there's ever been a sentence constructed in the history of humanity that is both that discouraging and that encouraging at the same time. It's just, it's, it's wild. But perhaps no Schrader saying encapsulate what the gospel does for us, how it changes lives, and how it points specifically to the way Tom lived his life more than this one. I would rather suffer obediently than prosper disobediently because I know my disobedient prospering is as temporary as my obedient suffering. Tom passed away far too soon, like I said, in 2019, at the age of 69. Uh, Steve Wheeler, who was up here uh, as the host, one of our elders, and I, we both had the incredible honor and privilege of speaking at his memorial service, which was attended by nearly 3,000 people from all over the country. And I still miss Tom today. Every day I miss him. Some of you know I can't seem to get through a sermon without citing Tom. That's how much of an influence he's had in my life. By the way, he's been gone four and a half years, and and from what I understand, the rule is after 10 years, I don't have to cite him anymore. His stuff is just now my stuff, so I have another five and a half years to go. At any rate, I find myself married to the best person I've ever known, being mentored and loved by the greatest man I've ever known. Jesus changes everything. Here's the second thing. Jackie and I were asked to start leading and teaching in the college and career uh, Bible study department at North Phoenix Baptist Church after a couple of years, and we did that for a number of years. And so the combination of Tom's leadership in my life and the opportunity for Jackie and me to lead in this Bible study department, I didn't realize it at the time, but it set me up. It It was the path that took me towards going to seminary, leaving the marketplace, and eventually becoming a pastor and a college instructor. Before transitioning out of the marketplace and into school and vocational ministry and education, I had spent 17 years in the areas of retail and restaurant management with a little bit of experience as well in commercial real estate. And I really thought when I first came to Christ and I was still involved in those endeavors that that that's what I would do for the rest of my life, you know, make millions of dollars for me and for Jesus, you know, that sort of thing. But as I've been saying all along, Jesus changes everything. Here's a list of things that at that time were never on my radar that have become realities in my life. Number one, I never thought I would go back to school and earn a master's degree in theology and then a second master's in human communication theory. Never thought that was going to happen. I never thought I would become a pastor of a church. I've been, been pastoring now for 24 years. I never thought that I would be teaching at a Bible camp in Northeast Iowa every year for the last 27 years. That just really is crazy. I never thought that I would, uh, it was never on my radar that I would immerse myself deeply in prison ministry. It was never on my radar that I would have two sons-in-law who are both now in vocational ministry and both have master's degrees in theology. It was never on my radar that I would be teaching human communication theory and public speaking in colleges and seminaries and as an adjunct for the last 25 years. And it was never on my radar that I would see the Chicago Blackhawks win three Stanley Cup champions in the last decade. You see, Jesus changes everything. He does. Now, get this. This is not to say that if you come to Christ or if you're a Christian, you will go into vocational ministry or that the Phoenix Suns will ever win an NBA championship. It is not to say any of that, okay? But if you are a Christian, 
And I hope you understand, if you are a Christian, that you are, in fact, in ministry. You are. It's just that your ministry is different than mine or Tyler's or Trey's or Stephanie's or Malia's or anybody else who works on staff here at Redemption Church. It's different, and I would argue, probably a little bit more challenging than what we do, depending on your context. You are an ambassador for Christ in the marketplace generally. And you are an ambassador, you are representing Jesus in your workplace specifically. You you are a person who is bringing Christ into your home and into your family every single day. And you're doing that in your neighborhood as well. I know that many people believe that Christian faith is foolish, deceptive, antiquated, wrong, anti-intellectual, or just plain stupid. But I have yet to encounter an explanation for why the Christian faith has thrived for thousands of years and that there are testimonies of billions of people who have said, Jesus changed my life. Jesus changes everything. And as I previewed at the beginning of this message, let's now finish with a little exercise about practical application and transformation or change. The ways that Jesus changes those who give their lives to him. In Scripture, in the Bible, if you are in Christ, there are three categories of things that we have been graciously given or things that we are called to because Jesus changes everything. So here are the three categories. Number one, category number one. One thing that a Christian has that God has graciously given to us are spiritual gifts. If you've come to Christ, if you're gospel-centered, if you know Jesus, you have spiritual gifts that are designed to build up and encourage and serve the body of Christ. Now, there are 26 of these, and probably more. There's 26 that Scripture talks about, probably even more of these gifts. It doesn't mean that you have all 26 plus of these gifts. But it does mean that in your life, as a Christian, you have three or four, we call them your your primary gift mix, three or four that are actually, uh, God and the Holy Spirit is really invested in you to use to build up the body of Christ. Things like service, teaching, exhortation, generosity, leadership, mercy, evangelism, and many, many others. If you want to learn more about the 26 gifts that are mentioned in the Bible, you can look at Romans chapter 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and Ephesians chapter 4. There's also a couple that are mentioned in 1 Peter as well. Let me just read the 1 Corinthians short version of 1 Corinthians 12 for us so you get the idea. Paul writes, Now concerning spiritual gifts, I do not want you to be uninformed. There are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. See, it's not us, it's God in us doing these things. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Holy Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. And to another, the interpretation of tongues. All of these are empowered by one and the same Spirit, the Holy Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as He wills. 
So in the body of Christ, in every church, there is a diversity of gifts in each um, Christian, but there is also a unity that that diversity of gifts brings about so that we become a body. And so that is one category of things that God has graciously given to anybody who has come to Christ. So here's the second area. And this is, again, something that is graciously given to us by the power of the Holy Spirit, and that is the fruit of the Spirit. Notice it's not the fruits of the Spirit. It's the fruit of the Spirit that has nine characteristics. And some of you could recite them with me. They are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And then I love what it says right after that. Against such things there is no law. Okay? So this is Galatians 5. We read it earlier. Anna read it earlier. I, want, I just want to read it again so that we hear it. God's, there is power in God's word. Paul writes, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control against such things. There is no law. So we have the gifts of the Holy Spirit, individual giftings for each of us in our gift mix. So we have the fruit of the Spirit that's been given to us by the resurrected Christ in us through the Holy Spirit. Category number three is the one that becomes considerably more challenging in many respects. These are things that God does not give us but that we are specifically called to in God's Word by God's grace and faithfulness and by the power of the Holy Spirit living in us to do and to process. Uh, sometimes I call these learned perspectives or learned character traits of the Christian aided by the Holy Spirit. Some other people would, would say that they are disciplines. And like I said, these are things that are not given to us. They're not spiritual gifts or supposedly part of our godliness until by God's grace and leadership with the Holy Spirit living within us, we develop them by enduring this challenging life with Him. How many of you believe the world we live in is a bit challenging? There's an endurance that we have to go through. But these are things that help that Jesus helps to transform in us and change us in a good way. And here's the list of them. And then at the end, I'll read passages that go with these things. So the first one is contentment. Wouldn't it be nice if God just gave us contentment? It's not a gift. It's not one of the, part of the fruit of the Spirit. It's something that we actually have to learn, okay? And, and here's the thing about contentment. It's not, the Bible doesn't say you need to be content just when things stink, because when things are good, you don't have to worry about it. One of our biggest problems is that when we've got it in the wheelhouse, when we're on the mountaintop, we, we are like... Uh, this isn't as good as I thought it would be. And then we start looking for something else. That's discontentment. We need to learn how to be content even when, in, when things are really good as well. Then there's perseverance or steadfastness. Same word in the Greek. 
We get that from James chapter 1. That's the ability to hang in there no matter what the opposition is. Then there's humility. And humility is not about self-esteem. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's, 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 It's about thinking about yourself less. Thinking about others more than yourself. Then there's wisdom. And the best path to wisdom is to know God and to know His will and then submit your will to His will. That's the best path to wisdom. Uh, the, the author uh, Henry Cloud says, the fool in this world, and there's many more foolish people than wise people, the wise person seeks God's will and submits their will to God's will. The fool understands what their will is and then wants everyone else to submit to their will. That's a foolish way to live. It's also a frustrating way to live, if anybody's ever tried to live that way, and I have. Then there's empathy. We need to remember that To have empathy, we need to remember that our perspective, opinion, and truth is not necessarily the only one that counts. Therefore, it's up to us to work hard to see others from their perspective, from their point of view. It does not necessarily mean that we agree with them. But it does mean that we're going to work hard to try to understand the way they see things from their point of view. Here's another one. Gratitude. This might be the most important of all of these that we're talking about. Um, Three weeks ago... Uh, Pastor Tyler James, four weeks ago, Pastor Tyler James suggested a book by Sam Albury, which is over on our Connect Desk right now. It's um, uh, What God Has to Say About Our Bodies. And so um, I immediately went, went and got a copy and read it. It's a fairly easy read, fairly profound read. I was blown away by several things that Albury said in the book, but here's one of them. He says, the single greatest tool that you and I have other than the Holy Spirit to keep from sinning is gratitude. People who are thankful rarely turn to sin. So gratitude is something that we need to develop. And then confession. Confession is about genuine self-awareness and self-assessment. And, and um, what's interesting about all of these things, when you read Scripture, all of these characteristics, contentment, perseverance, Humility, wisdom, empathy, gratitude, and confession. All of them in Scripture are connected to joy. They're all connected to joy. I wish I had a joyful life. Here you go. This is how you have a joyful life. So now, for contentment, here's what Paul writes in Philippians chapter 4. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that now at length you have renewed your concern for me. He's in prison. He's writing the church in Philippi. And they had just sent him a gift of of supplies and things that he needed in prison. And so he was thanking them for them. And he said, indeed, you were concerned for me, but you had no opportunity to show it. So he said, previously there had been a famine in Philippi and they couldn't send him anything. Now they are sending things to him and he's excited and he wants to thank them. But then he says this, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger of facing abundance and need. He's learned the secret to life, contentment. And he says, I can do all things through him, Christ, who strengthens me. That's engaging with Jesus is where we get it. Um, 
years and years ago, this is going back probably 40 years, but uh, the USC football team, I know we got some USC alum in here, but the USC football team used to wear these little hand towels with Philippians 4.13 printed on it. They're, uh, they're um, what you call their, uh, uh, their wide receivers and running backs and quarterback, Philippians 4.13 which I always thought was a weird application. I can do all things through Christ Jesus. We can beat Notre Dame because Jesus is on our side. That's just kind of an interesting interpretation of that verse taken out of context. That verse is about contentment. Read the verses before. Here you go. How about perseverance or steadfastness? James writes, Count it all joy, my beloved, when you encounter trials of various kinds, because you know the testing of your faith will produce perseverance. Now, word translated perseverance can also mean endurance or steadfastness or patience. But that's how, here you go, if you want perseverance, if you pray for perseverance, God is going to put you in situations where you are required to have perseverance. If you, some people are, I'm never going to pray for patience <laughs> because God's going to put you in situation, he, he's going to put you in the left lane behind all the slow people who should be in the right lane. That's what he's going to do to you, okay? And then there's humility, James chapter 4, verse 6. But God gives more grace, therefore it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. And then for wisdom, Proverbs 4, I love Proverbs 4, 7. This is it. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom. <laughs> That's it. The beginning of wisdom is this. Go get wisdom. And whatever you do, get insight. And then for empathy, Colossians chapter 3, verse 12. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And then for gratitude, for thanksgiving, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ for you. And then finally, Confession, 1 John, the book we just studied, chapter 1, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You see, this is the gospel. Uh, Larry Wright used to say that if you want the gospel in a nutshell, you look at 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 15, verses 3 through 5 that we're sinners, that Jesus came in the flesh, lived a perfect life, went to the cross, was crucified for our sins, and then rose from the dead three days later to give us eternal life. That's the gospel in a nutshell. This is an expanded version of the gospel. This helps us to understand that Jesus changes lives. Gifts, fruit, and disciplines. Let's pray together. Again, our Father in heaven, we thank you for your word and its truth. And we pray now that we would have the courage to understand how you've gifted us, to understand that we have this fruit in us as followers of your Son, and to understand that we are called to these disciplines, these characteristics, by the power of your Holy Spirit living in us, and by us using the gospel as a grid to understand life. Let us have the same mind in us that was in Christ Jesus. Let us take every thought captive to Christ. Let us do all things unto you for your glory and for our good. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.